Welcome to 9394, a music podcast with me. I'm Travis. I hope you're doing well. I want to fuck you like an animal. Is that a nice thing to say to someone? Uh, is that is that cool? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so do you remember what it was like living in the early 90s when you constantly would hear closer everywhere you went, it seemed like? They wouldn't say, I want to fuck you like an animal. It'd be, I want to fuck you like an animal, which, uh, like, I don't know who you think you're fooling. Trent Reznor has really done something with his career, I swear. It's been a pleasure to watch him grow. And to talk about the Nine Inch Nails album, Downward Spiral, I was really happy to have my friend Brian Madison back on the show. He did a great job talking about Wu-Tang Clan, and now he's back to talk about a very different genre. Thanks for joining us. Check out our conversation. You hear me? Yeah, you hear me? I can hear you. Hello, my friend. What's going on, man? How you doing? Long time no see. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not true at all. I just saw you last no. weekend. That's wild. That's kind of crazy, man. Yeah. All right. No big whoop. All right. Good seeing you. Talk to you later. <laughs> that was fun. Good podcast. Good podcast. <laughs> You've already been on the show. Right. We don't need to tell people how you and I know one another. And also, thank you for coming back. Much appreciated. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. So you and I just saw each other last weekend at an event that we call The Feast, a yearly get-together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, what are the highlights of this week-long debauchery fest where, well, getting less debaucherous in our old age, but... It is getting... <laughs> that is the thing. It's getting less debaucherous. We're getting older, right? Yeah. Uh, like I mentioned to you, man, I'm on water pills because I had blood pressure before I said, so yeah. <laughs> some of the highlights, there's definitely some great comedy. There is, uh, I think, the best joke that only Eric and I were privy to, Eric Branstrom. We were making fun of the pizza around his place and how trash it is in this mm-hmm. little town in Indiana. And uh, that was definitely like the highlight joke. If I say it out of context now, like you or the podcast listeners would be like, that's not fucking funny at all. But you have to, you've prepped us for it. Trust me, it was hilarious. You gotta tell us, you can't just leave us hanging. <laughs> I got this great story I'm not gonna tell you. Basically, uh, Branch was talking about how like trash the pizza is and like every single place, there's five places that do pizza around his house and each one is worse than the last. And I asked him like, it can't be that terrible. He's like, no, it's that terrible. He was like, the last place we went to, I actually took the pizza, had one bite, and then I just threw it in the garbage. I was like, there's no way you did that. And then from there, it like, you know how it is when us friends get together, we just start doing like skits back and forth and jokes and bits yes. for like 20 minutes. Our like significant others don't understand like why we keep on doing it. But anyway, so we're going back and forth. And then, you know, you know the context is that the owner comes in and sees the worker. We named him Frank. We're like, hey, Frank, is that another pizza coming out of the oven? He's like, yep. How many refunds have we had today? 12. How many customers? 12. 
and we just we just <laughs> lost our shit. Brandstrom is going to be the only one that laughs at that if he listens to this. He's going to laugh heartily. Trust me. Shout out to Brandstrom. But the rest of the listeners, the podcast listeners, are going to be like, they probably could have edited that out. But you know, anyway. <laughs> I'm definitely going to leave it in. I used to live in West Virginia, which had like the worst pizza in the world. I feel Eric's pain. I remember like buying pizzas and being like a slice or two and be like, no, this is trash. You can throw away the whole fucking thing. I can't imagine throwing away the rest of the pizza there. I just can't do that. Even if it's that terrible. If it's lower than school lunch pizza, then it's got to go in the trash. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's see. That was my favorite joke. Uh, listen, me waking up. By the way, I never usually wake up before noon at the feast. This year, I woke up at like 9.30, took a shower like an adult, right? You know, And I get up at 10 o'clock. It's you, Deary, and Jess. And you guys are out there just laughing your asses off. I'm looking up at the TV. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make some eggs, cook some sausage, whatever. You know, cook some for the crew or whatever. I keep on looking up. I'm like, what the fuck are these guys watching? And you guys are just uncontrollably laughing. And then no talking. It's like morning at the feast where nobody's talking, but they're laughing at whatever's on the screen. And I'm looking up. I'm like, what the fuck is that? You turn back, you go, Microwave Massacre. From 1979. A movie that I was not yes. proud of. I was like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? And then, of course, uh, watching Street Trash right after that with you guys, that is definitely a highlight of any feast because that shit was amazing. Amazing. Street Trash is a uh, American treasure. It is American treasure. I didn't know. I think my, my favorite comment that was made during the watching of that, other than the uncontrollable laughter, is you going, this director hates homeless people. <laughs> <laughs> he d- clearly does. <laughs> the whole movie oh, is just like, God. homeless people are the are the monsters, yeah, exactly. basically. Yeah. But man, the most exploitive, <laughs> offensive film I've ever seen. But really well shot. You gotta see it. Really well shot. Amazing. Yeah, yeah good cinematography. I think one of the highlights for me was uh, our friend, you mentioned Eric Branstrom, his brother Jeff, who's also been on this show, just like Eric. He looks oh, a yeah. bit like Jonathan Frakes, who played, what's his Riker. name, Lieutenant yeah. Riker. Number one. On Next Generation, yeah. And so he went in the bathroom and like shaved his beard into like the Kevin Smith pencil <laughs> beard and uh, put on like yeah, the red exactly. yeah. Star Trek uniform, just came around, came strolling around, just like reporting just for randomly. Duty. Just randomly. Is that funny. Riker? Riker just showed up to the feast? <laughs> And then he was offering selfies for like 40 bucks, which is pretty goddamn funny as well. <laughs> or or he would have like the yeah. uh, a picture of Riker next to his face as he was like coming up to you, looking like the same pose. And then, you know, you, know, you just you just lose it, right? You see that. For, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a, a pretty low-key feast, but maybe our, other than the classic Golden Nugget feast, which other feasters listening know what I'm talking about, probably I think one of the best locations that we've had for this event. It's good, man. This year, 16 people, usually like 20 people, but it's hard to find a good space for that many dudes, and uh, it definitely worked. It was nice. It was good, man. Sleeping arrangements were great. Everybody had a bed. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. We're growing up. We're, yeah, we're definitely older. growing up. Yeah. I'll take it. So you've come to talk about the Nine Inch Nails album, Downward Spiral from 1994. What a fucking ubiquitous album this was at that time. I mean, it was unreal. How did you get into this album? Do you remember? 
I'll have to go back a little bit. The first Nine Inch Nails mm-hmm. song, it was 91, 92, when I had finally heard Head Like a Hole off of uh, Pretty Hate Machine, right? Pretty Hate Machine, I really wasn't aware of like New Wave, or at least not as like something that's specific. You would hear New Wave, but I didn't know that was New Wave. So if you think about it though, but like Pretty Hate Machine is kind of like a New Wave album, right? And the first time you hear it, it's dark, you know? It's like kind of scary or whatever, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of synth. There's a lot of like synthesized beats and all that type of stuff. First time I heard Head Like a Hole, I was yeah. like, I just had not heard anything like that. And I fucking loved that song. I was like, all right, this is like my seventh grade anthem, right? <laughs> From here on out. Give me head like a hole. Yeah. And Nine Inch Nails, this is a band that I'm, well, quote unquote band. This is a band that I'm definitely going to be following. So with the background of Pretty Hate Machine. And then Wish. Jesus Christ, right? Wish. I mean, holy crap. That EP, Broken, is like. Or Broken, yeah. It's a very interesting uh, EP. There's a lot of meanings behind that EP, Broken. But like everybody else, I think I saw the video first for Closer. I had known that yeah. Nine Inch Nails was like releasing something in 1994. I think I remember what magazine or whatever I was reading. Maybe it was Rolling Stone or something. I still wasn't like at that mode where I'm just at the record store all the time, right? You know, just like waiting for drops. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm experiencing music like most people probably at that point is music videos, MTV, right? So, and you know, the radio, of course. First time I saw the video for Closer, I was like, what the f-? Yeah. Does not sound like anything at that point. It doesn't even sound like Pretty Havish or, of course, Broken. Like, it's just this weird, like, beat. Sounds like a heartbeat. Yeah, it's just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and I wasn't even sure I liked it at first. It's so unlike what I've heard from Nine Inch Nails so far. But then, you know, you get a hold of the album. Yeah. I was vaguely aware of concept albums because of Pink Floyd's The Wall, right? But uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't like a complete understanding I have. I didn't know what a concept album was at that point. But then you hear Downward Spiral, and it kind of gives you a sense of like, all right, one song flows and the other is actually kind of a story, a narrative, like driving through and closer as a part of that narrative. And I started thinking about it in that context. And then that album just from Mr. Self-Destructor hurt. It was a revelation for me. That's all I'm saying. Because industrial music in general, you know, ministry, skinny puppy, all that type of stuff. That's all well and good. I love me some ministry. Mm-hmm. I love me some KMFDM. But like Nine Inch Nails is it. I mean, that album is such like a revolutionary album within like the catalog of Nine Inch Nails. And, you know, 1994, I mean, that year. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, that album is uh, huge. It's one of my favorite albums to this day. I still listen to it every once in a while. You know, you were on here on 93, 94 before to talk about Wu-Tang's 36 Chambers. And I feel like Wu-Tang is one of those acts that transcends the genre absolutely they bridge the gap people that aren't hip-hop fans will listen to them or the way that people aren't country fans might listen to johnny cash right for sure in the same way that nine inch nails they kind of transcend the genre of industrial no of course i I would definitely agree with you that album definitely uh broke that apart yeah like you i knew had like a whole i had pretty hate machine on cassette as a kid i didn't really get into that album as much until broken came out and then i was like kind of retroactively looking backwards a little bit i had heard had like a hole on 89x the radio station around town but i have an older brother and him and his skater friends they were really into nice nails 
I think March of the Pigs was the first single from this album, I feel like. I could be wrong. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, that video came out first. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember this coming out and like my brother and his friends were just very excited because as skaters, they hated cops. So they loved March of the Pigs and they and they loved Piggy. Yeah. And um, they're just like going on and on about uh, how much they, you know, like, like, oh yeah, fuck Pigs and all that kind of shit. I'm like, I'm not I even don't think sure it's that. in that context. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think it is either. And, and my dog is um, Mara. She is a Chihuahua dachshund, but she snorts a lot and is very wiggly. So I call her Pig. <laughs> so I'll kind of walk around singing, hey, Pig, Piggy, Pig, Pig to her all the time. So it's very different meaning to me. All of your fears came true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> first of all, yeah, I do think March of the Pigs was the first single off that because the video was out, but it didn't have as much of an impact uh, closer. Probably didn't have Mark Romanek directing, right? I mean, Mark Romanek. But yeah, one Oof. of the greatest music video directors of all time, right? But I would say also March of the yeah. Pigs is still a fantastic music video, though, as far as music videos go. They did it live. It's literally just them in a whiteout room, like it's the Matrix, right, you know? I can't remember the video. And then uh, they're just doing a live version of March of the Pigs. Okay, that kind of brings me back a little bit. And I think that the yeah. Hurt video was something similar, like live footage kind of spliced with it. Once Romanek did uh, the video for Closer, which on my other Cinema 9 podcast, the movie podcast I do, we realized is that that, yeah, exactly. that is yeah. the movie The Cell. <laughs> they just remade Closer to a fucking full-length film. Yeah, Tarsum Singh saw the Closer video. He's like, I, I like that style. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll just I'll do, do five movies like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> which I'm not knocking it. You know, it's a fantastic <laughs> style. But there is something to be said. No, no, not either. Yeah, and all artists borrow, but some more than others. That video combined with the song itself, it became such an anthem it was a thing. from the era. And no one minded, especially like at our age, being like, I want to fuck <laughs> exactly. you like an animal. Exactly. I want to exactly. fuck you like an animal. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, of course, man. <laughs> so romantic. There's so many themes, though, about that album. You know, of course, the religious themes, too, as well, the religious overtones, right? I mean, come on, right? That's, oh, that's synonymous yeah. with Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. You know, the rumor of their name, right? The Nine Inch Nails, the nails that nailed in, uh, you know, Jesus on the cross, right? Totally not true. But I believed it for like about a decade, right? But totally not true. My whole life, I always took it to mean like fingernails. <laughs> I never even thought twice. Just someone with really long fingernails. You know what it was? Like Reznor liked the shortened like logo of NIN. Like he was like, Nine Inch Nails sounds so like, if you say the name, it's like very like round and like symmetrical. The logo itself also is, mm -hmm. it's one of the greatest like rock, you know, logos of all time. Oh my God. It's like how George Eastman became Kodak. <laughs> Here, this just sounds good. Exactly, 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 right? <laughs> but there's no, there was no like meaning, other meaning other than that behind it. So then when I'm like, you know, drawing NIN over everything, right, over like textbook, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the... Oh, yeah. The paper, the, the, yeah. you take the, what is it, the grocery bag, the paper grocery, the grocery bag. bag you tape it around, you had to do it a certain way. I mean, that thing yep. was just covered in like band logos and like NIN yeah. was like, it was on everything. And that's what he wanted. He knew people could just scrawl that easily. Exactly. And then he turned the end around. You're yes. like, oh, shit, that's amazing. And it kind of <laughs> is. It's very simple and it's great. <laughs> yeah. So what's your favorite song in this album? So... Man, I'm going to have to go with Eraser. Eraser is my favorite song off this album. It starts off with the sound of an eraser, and then it just keeps on building and building. And then that industrial drum beat goes on for about like, I don't know, two and a half, three minutes. And then it starts coming yeah. in with a little bit of guitar. And then it cuts out to an acoustic, and then you just have that crescendo. It's this big ramp up, and I fucking love it every single time. Yeah. 
I gotta say though, it works really well as a song. It listens great. It's this huge, great buildup. But I want to read you the lyrics without the music behind them, real quickly. <laughs> yeah. Need you, dream you, find you, taste you, fuck you, use you, scar you, break you, lose me, hate me, smash me, erase me, kill 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 me. Yeah. Um, a lot of angst. It could be somebody with depression, you know, possibly a little bit of self-loathing, right? You know, we're spiral as a concept album. It's really just Woo! about Trent Reznor's like fucking breakdown, right? Like it's like he's putting the struggles with religion and uh, you know his self-loathing. I mean, it ends with the song "Hurts" because he's hurt, but he's also gonna make you hurt, and he makes everybody hurt. So therefore, it's almost like a nihilistic, like you know, crazy ending where it's just like, I'm gonna let you down, man. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. You're gonna get on this ride with me. I'm gonna let you down in the end. And it's like almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's basically yeah. one big self-fulfilling prophecy is what that inspire was. And if you're 14, if you're 14 and you hear that, of course it's gonna be. Oh my God. Jesus, it's like, all I feel is depression and angst, but I have no understanding of the source. Exactly. Uh, and so there's this kind of inchoate music to match the inchoate angst. Of course. To keep using that word. They do pair pretty well yeah. together as someone who was 14 listening exactly. to this shit. And since you brought us to Hurt, I'll just say that it's got to be my favorite song on the album, too. I know it's the big song from the album, but it is a showstopper. Yeah. But back in the day, I think that if you would have asked anybody, like, what's going to be the enduring song from this album, the song that people remember most, it probably would have said Closer. It gets the headlines. But if I was making a mixtape of the most important, best songs of the 1990s, this would be on it. It's so soulful and it aches. It's so expertly crafted. For sure. It's just a really beautiful song. I wanted to be like, oh, I'll find, you know, I'm going to pick one of these other like less obvious songs, but no, who am I kidding? It's Hurt. Hurt is great. And you know, there is a reason why Johnny Cash picked it, right? Yeah. Look, Johnny Cash has great taste. If he's like, I'm going to cover that song. Now that song also lends. So did Rick Rubin. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it lends itself to Johnny Cash's strengths, of course. You know, I mean, it's guitar and like it's slow. It's kind of like this meditation, right? So perfect for cash yeah. but like i think also cash doing that it also i don't know i'm not gonna say a catapult but it kind of sort of lifted that song into a new level of like you know american psyche right yeah it's almost like jeff buckley's hallelujah versus you know leonard cohen's hallelujah right like both amazing but they're both also kind of different right and i think the johnny cash mm -hmm. bump from that too also helped your like case for that being like the song from this album and i, I don't disagree with it for sure i mean jesus man like it's a fantastic fucking song that endures of course yeah, I've spent more time with that song than any other song from this album, either through Johnny Cash or the Nine Inch Nails version. But it is, uh, 
It's a masterful song. Um, what about from the other direction? What about the weakest song on this album? Could you pick a weakest? Oof. Um, is that a tall order? It's kind of tough, yeah, because it is kind of like, you know, each track is essential to the entire album. But yeah, I don't know. If I had to pick a song, I would probably have to go with um, maybe Mr. Self-Destruct. I mean, maybe. Oh, really? younger but i you know the more and more i listen to that album I'm like eh, i mean it's kind of on the nose it's a little you know like it's uh you know <laughs> it's, it's like this weird like engine revving like at a stop sign like sound beats you know like i mean it works or maybe the becoming Two is also kind of like um, uh, two as well. I would probably pick one of those two songs, but it's really tough to take a song out of this album. Though, as far as like being like, oh, that's my least favorite. But when those tracks hit, yeah. I'm like, eh, all right, cool, man. You know. <laughs> and you can skip Mister Self Destruct if you wanted to, but who'd want to? Because mm. even if it is one of the weaker songs on the album, it's certainly not a bad song. I like it quite a bit, and I think it matches the feel of Broken that people would have been like ready for. Right. You yeah. know, so like it, it feels a natural continuation to that. I would agree with that. I consider the becoming that one has like the acoustic kind of moments, right? Mm -hmm. And I really like the acoustic moments. I felt like that kind of saved the song for me because there's like all this screaming being used as loops. Yeah. So I'm like, this is like driving around listening to people scream in anguish. I'm like, this is uh this is kind of yeah, rough. Yeah, it's a little rough. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like the downstroke, like almost like uh, metal riffs at the end, like did it yeah. in the becoming, you're like, I don't know if this actually worked. Yeah. There isn't a song that I would remove from this album because as you say, it's not an obvious concept album, but the way that the songs all blend together, it would feel less if any of these songs were pulled out. I put down for my weakest song is I, I do not want this, not because it's not good. It is good, but I do feel like there's a little bit of a mid-album slump that happens there. Yeah. And it kind of is indicative of that because it starts off pretty strong and it ends really strong, but there's a little bit of a dip in the middle where it's kind of like, this all sounds a little bit similar to each other. I mean, it is kind of a toss-up between Mr. Self-Destruct and I Do Not Want This, right? They're both like kind of sort of essentially the same. Mr. Self-Destruct and Don't You Tell Me How I Feel. And it's kind of, it's a little whiny, right? Like, don't you tell me. Like, it's like, uh, all right, then. It's a little whiny. Yes. Again, appealing to the 14-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me yeah, what to exactly. do, man. 14-year-old me? Come on, right? Like, yeah. I'm dealing with my religious angst at that point and everything. And like, yeah, don't you tell me how I feel, man. But it's like, yeah, it's kind of whiny. <laughs> little whiny trend. That's a gripe. That's all. Right. But he was working through some stuff, and it clearly resonated with people, including you and me. Of course. It's easy to knock now. Yeah, it is. We're taking right. a real lens at it, but we love the album overall as a whole. Yes. But it's like, well, that is the question, which one is like your least favorite? But yeah, I mean, I, I will say too as well, like that album, yes, it, it is a kind of a concept album about how he's feeling at that point. And 
you know, what happened before with Broken and TVT Records, like, Broken is kind of the bridge. Broken is kind of like a big old fuck you to TVT, right? And then the inner scope, like, all right, let's do this, right? You know, like, mm -hmm. Broken is very important to the development of Down Spiral, obviously. So. And do the band, it seems, as a whole, probably. Yeah. Like, since they came back to it for Fixed and all that kind yeah. of stuff, it's been kind of a touch point, for, as far as EPs go for albums. But to get back to Downward Spiral... What about the most underrated song on this album? Could you name an underrated song from this album? Oh, man. Um, I think the reason why it's my favorite is because I think it is the most underrated, and I think I'd have to go with Eraser again. I know that's a cheating cheating answer, but, you know. <laughs> now I've got to play the song twice. This is awkward <laughs> for the listener. <laughs> um... <laughs> okay, okay, to stave off that, so, you know, the podcast listeners are like, oh, brother, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> oh, again. <laughs> uh, let's, let's see. The most, uh, most <laughs> underrated, I mean, A Warm Place. I mean, it's the forgotten track for this album, yeah. but that sets up basically Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's working professional relationship after like 2016, right? Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I feel the exact same way. I feel like listening to this album, like Hearsay, I can hear Pretty Hate Machine on that. That's kind of like, that's older Nine Inch Nails. But you listen to A Warm Place and that just presages all the stuff exactly, that's going to be coming right? down the line. It almost sounds like the soul score. It is. Almost, you know, that it's this bubble of chaos that you're in listening to this album and it's like just you know, aggression and anger and doubt and self-loathing and all this type of stuff. And then all of a sudden there's like this little oasis that happens in this album for about a minute and like 47 seconds. And you're just yeah. like, I'm in a sea of tranquility right now. What is going on? I'm just floating on my back. It's a highlight too. Yeah, it's amazing. It's underrated for sure. Yeah, good choice. For my underrated, I'm gonna have to go back to either of the pig songs. I'm gonna go with Piggy. Since my brother had that whole mindset about it being about cops, <laughs> as I got older, I kind of dismissed it. You know, and I right, kind of right. was like, okay, it's kind of like a strutting sort of like, it's not man with a gun. I'm going to come all over you. I'm going to come <laughs> all right. over you. It's not, it's not that overt. 
but it's uh, <laughs> shoot, shoot, Jesus, shoot, shoot. Don't, don't hold back. Um, but it is kind of like a swaggering kind of like in my mind, it was a lot cockier, I guess. And then listening to it now, I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty fucking jazzy and chill yep. and uh, almost romantic, almost, yeah. but like in a sad and kind of depressed kind of way. It's really a beautiful song. It highlights the fact that the dude can do so much within the genre. For sure, man. Yeah, it's got that Phil Collins, like, drum beats in there, you know? Like, it's, uh, you know, it, right. is, it is a good song. I agree. Okay, I'm going to come all over you. What other <laughs> notes do I have? Uh <laughs> is this in italics? I'm going to come all over you. Yeah. How many times do we say shoot? Four times. And then I'm going to come up with yeah. Trent. I'm going to talk about okay. blowing your head off and coming on you. It's going to be very disturbing. I hope you enjoy it. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Uh, love gun? Is it like yeah. love gun? Lick my love pump? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I was getting at. I went with an actual kiss song. Okay, so did you ever get a chance to see this band live? Never did. Never got a chance to see Nine Inch Nails live, man. And it's one of the major disappointments of my life. Um, I'm going to make you insanely jealous because I got a story. Oh, God. Here's the story. Let's do it, man. I'm so sorry. So I've mentioned on the show before an old friend of mine, Andrew Johnson, and his dad would sometimes get tickets for some kind of out there shows mm -hmm. and like expensive shows and that kind of stuff. Well, uh, on New Year's Eve in 1994, into the year 95, I saw Nine Inch Nails play at the Palace of Auburn Hills. Oh, God. Uh, on New Year's Eve, <laughs> oh, and uh, it was quite a setup. I actually was most excited, even though I did, of course, like Nine Inch Nails. I was really into the band Pop Elite itself, and Pop Elite <laughs> itself opened up for them, uh -huh. and they did good. And before the show, there was the Jim Rose Circus, which, if you're not familiar, is like torture circus, weird fucking sideshow shit. It was very like designed to disturb, even like in a huge stadium. Mm -hmm. It's a very '90s thing. Yeah, even like you know, way away in the, on the stage. I was just like, oh, I'm just that's blood. I'm looking at blood. I can see that's blood. And here, you know, I'm 14 years old. And before all of that happens on the outside, there's like in the hallway of the Palace of Auburn Hills, there was a big stage set up where the local kink shop, Noir Leather, could set up with a bunch of models. And they had like models modeling stuff with like black electrical tape over their nipples and stuff. And I'm like 14 and like in the very front of this, just like slack jawed and uh, just taking it all in, you know, never seen anything like that with my eyes even close <laughs> in my life. It was very much an eye-opening experience. But as far as the Nine Inch Nails show itself goes, like it really stuck out to me that, I mean, it was epic. He was really going for it because it was a New Year's Eve show. I, I'm pretty sure he was playing when the ball dropped. I mean, I feel like they were open late, Jesus, but it was a long time ago, so I could be wrong. I remember he like actually got to the point where like, in the end, like he picked up the fucking microphone stands, was destroying his keyboards with the microphone stands. Yep. And then after closer, like half the crowd got up and left. Oh God, come on then. Yeah. Made me very angry as a 14 year old. What are you doing? You sit, sit down. Posers, you're all posers. <laughs> that was, I'm sure what I was thinking. <laughs> Man, that was an epic show. That was one that really sticks out in my memory as a young person. Just like, what is this whole world? Jesus Christ, man, that is uh, that's an insane like live show experience. Me being that age too, as well. At that point, if I had seen that, I would I, I don't know. 
that would have been very eye-opening too as well we're not private any of that especially at that age coming from Portland and everything we don't know like you know oh, yeah. leather dominatrix uh shits and you know like sadomasochism and everything and then all of a sudden you know freaking Fred Reisner and Nine Inch Nails go up there and like blow everything out of the right. water I mean yeah that would, that'd be insane ruin me for life yeah there you go there it is thanks Trent <laughs> or improve me one or the other somewhere in between either or I came from a Lutheran private school, right? You know, we went over this uh, the last time, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to get too much into it. But basically, at five years old, I was the kid that was like, there is no such thing as Santa Claus. It's impossible. I didn't have a word for like physics or, <laughs> or anything like that, or maybe even logic, but I was like, there's no fucking way that Santa Claus exists, right? <laughs> so look, if Santa Claus isn't real, then you start questioning everything else. Easter Bunny, bullshit. Get the fuck out of here with that, right? And then you start thinking about God as you grow older, right? So going to Child of Christ until eighth grade, right? You know, you're like, I don't know, right? Like, I was leaning more towards being like, no, I don't think there's anything. And then, you know, Nanish Nails comes along and then kind of sort of verbalizes that, especially when you can't. You can't, like, really talk about it to your parents. You can't really talk about it to your friends for the most part. Obviously, you can't talk about it to your teachers, right? A child of Christ. I was like, yeah, there's something to this, right? And then I think Nanish Nails, for me, I think I identified very much with Trent Reznor's obvious like struggle with it too as well Mm -hmm. in that way I definitely identified and the music came after that and just like yeah I get the aggression I get all that stuff I'm getting what he's throwing down there you know and it's it was very important for me Mm -hmm. and I think that speaks to in part like why that album resonated so much with Americans I mean American attendance in the church has declined dramatically since around 1990. Yeah, I, I think I was just reading an article about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, it's been a dramatic decrease in uh, you know church participation among Americans, and then also like our generation is weirdly situated between the summer of love of and just orgies that our parents <laughs> got to enjoy. <laughs> And then, like, the onslaught of just all the pornography that, like, kids are exposed to today. And we were, like, in this kind of weird in-between space. Oh, porn's a thing? I didn't know. Apparently, it's very easily accessed. <laughs> we were in this kind of weird in-between space where it was kind of like the sexual frustration of this album combined with the rage concerning, like, the forcing of religious ideology onto people. Of course. It resonated. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you touched on that. It's an important, really important part of this album. Absolutely. Pretty Ape Machine too as well. I think almost every one of his albums has touched on that to some degree. Yeah, which kind of feeds the whole Nine Inch Nails rumor about why, you know, yeah. reasonable speculation. All right, I've got some questions for you about the 1990s I'd like to ask you, shifting gears. You are in the medical field. I don't know how much we can talk about this, but you're tantalizingly looking at the field of animation as well, correct? Yes. Okay, we can discuss this a little bit. Yeah. Or just that much. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I want to talk animated 
TV shows with you from the 1990s. Oh, wow. Because it feels like a good subject. Okay. And I'm a big superhero nerd, so I thought uh, I could blend the best of two worlds. Now, if you didn't watch any of these TV shows, we might have to reconfigure how we do this. <laughs> but uh, I, I want to give you five animated superhero series from the 1990s, and I want you to put them in order of least good to best good for me. Oh, what do you okay. Think? All right. Let's you do, do it. that. All right, let's start with the granddaddy, the obvious one, Batman the Animated Series that oh. aired from 92 to 95. Fucking love it. Kevin Conroy. The one true Batman. Yeah, perhaps like the most iconic Batman that we actually have. What can you say about that? There's a reason why I didn't say pick your number one. There's a reason why. <laughs> Put them in order. I'm going to have you rank them instead. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, out of all these that I'm going to bring up, there's only one I didn't actually watch or didn't watch much, which was Superman, the animated series that was on from 96 to 2000. And Parker's was a little bit later in part because I was not a huge Superman fan. Did you ever watch that? No, because around 2000, I was like you. You know, we were, yeah. you know, talking about like Scorsese and, uh, you know, Tarantino, you know, and like, like Heat. Yeah. I had left animation behind for the most part. For the most part, right. Yeah. So I think we found our number five here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also at that time was Spider Man, the animated show from 94 to 98. I've been watching, um, currently watching, and it's surprisingly good. I didn't really watch it back in the day. But everyone, I think, watched X-Men, the animated series. to 97 in fact so many people watch it that they're actually rebooting it bringing it back with the original voice cast and stuff for x-men 97 which i'm pretty excited about oh i can't wait then did you watch that oh fuck yeah i did that yeah. i even liked jubilee right you know oh there was so many characters they, they handled so much yeah on that show it was amazing that they dealt with such a huge cast they really handled it all pretty well and yeah jubilee was a big deal in that show yeah what does she do she throws out fireworks man cool all yeah. right let's do it man sparkle fingers yep <laughs> yeah keeps that yellow trench coat clean all the time i don't know how she does right? it but all right here we go she had those super cool like wraparound pink sunglasses yeah um and then the last one which now i'm throwing a, i think for me i'm throwing a thorn in things maybe batman's not number one todd mcfarland spawn oh, ran Jesus from 1997 Christ. to 1999 <laughs> Oh, right? oh, Keith David yeah, is fun. Yeah, just snuck that one in there, right? It's like, all right, all right. This, well, this is going to be pretty simple for me. Uh, right now, okay. Spawn, number one. It's a short run, but what HBO did with that, it is a long forgotten series. A lot of people forget that, that HBO actually did that, right? It was but incredible. if you fucking watch that and you read any of the Spawn comics, that is like amongst the greatest adaptations. 
it's so dead on. It's so freaking good. Yeah. I was just watching that like a couple months ago, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's on HBO Max. And uh, I was watching. I was like, still amazing. Is it on Max? It's on Max. Yeah. I need to revisit. It's on there, man. It's still amazing. Did I go with you, by the way, to go see the Spawn movie? I think Branch was there. I want to say you were there. I can't remember. I may have been. All I know is that I never hated a movie adaptation more of a comic book in my life. Dude, man, the disappointment that I felt in that movie too. Holy shit. I've only recently started to forgive John Leguizamo. Yeah, what is he going to do? Not take the paycheck? And, you know, he's like, <laughs> look, I mean, wait, I get to play a goddamn, like, demon, like, lieutenant that rips people's heads off and turns into a goddamn gnarly-ass monster? Of course I'm going to do that, right? That's bizarre casting, though. It is bizarre casting. Who made this choice? Uh, anyway, so that's my number one, too. So what's your number two? Batman, easily. Okay. Like, shouldn't say Spawn easily, but Batman, you know, too. And it's very cool. It would be like 1A, 1B, actually. But okay. but yeah, Batman animated series, man, come on. I made sure I was back home to watch that just in time. Yeah, I did, too. My God, Kevin Conroy is Batman. Every other iteration, yeah, cool, man. Robert Pattinson, cool. I, I really liked the Dull Batman. Yeah. Introduced Harley Quinn as a character that has become yeah. such a... The character with yeah. Batman, and of course Mark right. Hamill's Joker. I mean, arguably, the Batman animated series has the two best incarnations of Batman and the Joker. It's a reasonable argument. I'd be hard pressed not to make that my number two. I gotta make my number two uh, X Men animated series. Though. I've gotten <sighs> yeah. more enjoyment over the years. I've returned to that one repeatedly, where I didn't so much do that with Batman. I hell of a theme song. Yes. Is that your number three? Yeah, it's definitely number three. Yeah, it's a lot of traction on that one too. And then Spider-Man, then Superman. Yeah, for me too as well. It's the same one. Yeah, right. we did it. We did it. We succeeded. You switched Batman and uh, X-Men. Not a wrong choice. It's tough. I mean, ask me tomorrow. I might say something different. But I'm glad you brought up that Spawn is on Max. I should probably revisit. You absolutely need to. It's still amazing, dude. I will. You're amazing, dude. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. This is always fun, man. I, I really appreciate you having me coming on. We just scared out about shit. It's an amazing experience. It's good to have you back. And it's always good to see you, man. Likewise. Brian, man, I am just so glad that he came on again. Love that dude. He's always fun to talk to. Just a great guy, and I really appreciate him coming on. So if you want to come on and talk about an album from 93 or 94, you're too late to talk Nine Inch Nails with me, but maybe you like Pop Elite itself. brought them up on this episode that I saw them back in 94. This is their song Ich bin ein Ausländer from their album Dos Dedos Mis Amigos because they're just super trilingual for some reason. But you don't have to talk about them. 
You can talk about any album you want that came out from the era. I am not that picky, to be honest. And I'm getting less picky about it being specifically 93, 94. I need guests. I need you. I need you to come on and talk to me. And if you don't want to come on the show and talk to me, that's fine. I get it. Not everybody's an introverted extrovert like myself. Maybe you could just, you know, click a button that says like or thumbs up or is like a little picture of a heart. Something along those lines. Rank the podcast kindly if you can. Uh, that's appreciated. Yeah. Okay. I'll leave it at that. I hate doing the pitch. That's <laughs> not why I got into this. All right. Thank you much. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Ninety-four, a music podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.